Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with another episode of the Thriving Farmer Podcast. And today my guest is Geraldo Martinez, who is the owner of Wild Kid Acres, and they farm in Edgewater, Maryland. So uh, they, he has a background in the Navy Academy graduate and a former Marine Corps officer. After his service, he combined his love of the outdoors and passion of rock climbing with his leadership development expertise to form Triple Direct Leadership, an executive development and experimental leadership company. When he returned back to the States, he made it his mission to create the spirit and vision of the farm he visited in Cameroon. So he bought a farm in Edgewater, Maryland, and it was very run down. So you built it back up and started doing goats and chickens. And uh, now you do goat yoga, farmer's markets, um, occupational therapy, and an array of other activity-based education. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So gosh, you kind of almost looks like you almost fell into farming based on, you know, the whole COVID thing, but now it sounds like you're really taken off and, and taken it to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. So COVID was not on our minds when we decided to buy a farm. It yeah. was, uh, so like, like I, you said, I have a, I own a leadership development company. I got hired to go to Cameroon in Africa and we, I brought my wife with me just because it was like a very, small yeah. opportunity that that would happen again and they made us stay on the farm in africa and uh i it wasn't just the lifestyle that we fell in love with it was also africa itself mm-hmm. um with the immense amount of poverty uh you notice that like nobody is unhappy there and yeah. uh, and it is mainly due to their lifestyle of not just do they like get their food from the farm that they you know which was a community farm but also the only thing that they can interchange in exchange for like the eggs and in exchange for like the food that they would gather is human interaction. So they would sit and talk with you for hours if they, mm-hmm. what you needed. Um, so we really, really love that. Like not only are they gathering the food from their like little homestead type thing, but they're also, everything is focused on like, how do I interact with the people that live in this community. What is this village doing for me? What am I doing for the village? And so we came back to the United States. That was in the May of 2019. And I was like, we're both city kids. And uh, I told my wife, I was like, we're buying a farm like tomorrow. Mm. And uh, I have no idea what I was doing, um, but I knew I didn't want to be some huge like production farmer on like 200 acres or whatever. Um, so I started doing a whole lot of research into uh, like regenerative farming, biodiversity, mm-hmm. uh, especially like small scale homestead, homesteading. Yep. Um, so we were focused on like a five to 10 acre plot where we live on the outskirts of DC. It's like impossible to find something for less than like a couple of yes. million. Yes. <laughs> so, so we, I, I got called by the Naval Academy, which is in Annapolis, Maryland to do a potential contract. And this is all before COVID. And, uh, I, I saw this property that was for sale and it was uh, to say rundown is like a understatement. There was uh, lots of trash in the yard. The house was like totally condemned. And uh, we decided this is our place. <laughs> like we can bargain. Yeah. This. <laughs> so, and it happens to be in like a really beautiful area. It's just that the property wasn't taken care of. I mean, we're like right on the water on a peninsula. So, you know, it's yeah. beautiful here but so yeah so we like purchased the property and uh my so uh, the house was under a renovation loan and okay so that was we like closed in august of 2019 came in started taking out the trash from the yard and i couldn't it was like impossible to take the trash out because there was so much overgrowth of like invasive vines and invasive grapevines and you know the equivalent of kudzu everywhere uh, so I got goats to mow the lawn. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so like year to date, I've taken out 30 dumpsters of trash from the yard alone. Wow. Uh, yeah. Which is a great financial burden to take on. <laughs> um, yeah. 
But in November of 2019, the contractor came in to do the renovation of our little home and uh, he quit the first day. Wow. And, yeah, which is great. Um, and like, this is when, you know, COVID started coming like on the horizon, but it wasn't really a threat yet. And uh, so I convinced over the next two months, so some November to January, I convinced a mortgage company that I could build the home on the property by myself with no, with the same budget as a renovation of a single story home. So I, uh, in January, they approved it because they're crazy. And uh, I started building the first thing I've ever built in my life. Uh, I demolished the old house all by myself. And I started putting up the framing and everything all by myself. As I learned, watched a lot of YouTube. And then I started realizing I really couldn't keep up with the lawn. So we started focusing on, you know, making sure the infrastructure around the yard was okay so that goats don't escape, which is yep. almost impossible task to do. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, so like, so like everything shut down and we had chickens and goats and we were going to milk and like meat and all that stuff. So we, COVID was not planned, but it was definitely a benefit to us because we didn't need to go to the grocery store like everybody else. So in DC, there's no such thing as homesteading and the grocery stores were like totally out of food. And we started giving away eggs and everything that we, gave, that we took from the farm. Um, and then, yeah, and then it just grew from there. We got a cow uh, just because, you know, the average age of a farmer is relatively old. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of, you know, you know, just the state of the industry, a lot of farmers are retiring and their, you know, their inheritance, uh, their kids are not taking it over. So they're getting purchased up by like large conglomerates or something. So there's a lot of like animals out there that they're just like, this is not coming with the purchase. So we need someone to adopt it or we'll slaughter it. So we got all of our animals here on the farm are essentially like rescues or donations. Uh, everybody was, we have paid for nobody, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. So like, so we started like building up the animals just because it was like easy uh, to like find farmers that were like giving up stuff. And I was like, Oh, I want a pig because they like can eat the trash. And it can also till the land and, you know, the whole biodynamic cycle that we're going for, yeah. we, could, we could accelerate it because I had to live on the property full time now because <laughs> COVID. Um, and while I was building the house, people in my neighborhood are very, very nosy. Okay. <laughs> and they started pulling into my driveway all the time. And uh, we in Maryland, liability is like insane. So we were very much, you know, nobody's allowed on here. Not to mention the fact that it's also a construction site. Yeah. Uh, so like throughout all of 2020, we were pushing people away daily, daily. Uh, they just wanted to pet our cow. We were like, get out of here. <laughs> like, stop coming on our property. You know, like coming out with a shotgun a few times, like stop pulling in here. <laughs> yeah. But then in September of 2020, uh, this is when we like first got some Highland cows. So like, you know, right now they're very popular aesthetically. Um, so this lady pulled in on September 1st, got out of her car and broke down crying in my driveway because of, it was like the height of the political turmoil, COVID yeah. was surging, you know, like we couldn't, we haven't been out for a very long time. Uh, so she, I told her, it's like, you can come in, but don't tell anybody. And also if you die, you're going in the compost pile. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so is it, you know, it's like, so like, I like to joke around a lot. So she came in, we were having a really, like, she stopped crying, obviously, but we had a really fun time, like explaining biodiversity, like biodynamic structure, like what regenerative soil looks like, why we like taking all the, we started partnering with people to take in like food waste. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just super fun for me. Like I, I'm a very social guy. So I had a lot of fun and she was like, you should open up. You know, you should make the world a little bit better. Like, there's nothing like this in DC. Like, because all of our animals live together, we let her like go out there and just like hug a cow, which is probably not the smartest thing to do, liability-wise. But <laughs> yeah, we we, uh, we she convinced me to open up. So we decided to open up for one appointment a day using the app Calendly. Which yep. um, yeah, so we use that. And we only did one appointment a day. And the idea was like only one family can sign up because of COVID. And uh, you would just help me with the chores in the evening. So at 5 p.m. you would just come and help me feed, you know, clean up some stuff. 
move some trash. Um, so a lot of free labor. And uh, I, so we opened up on September 5th for those appointments. And I just made a blanket, like, uh, we'll just do one appointment a day until January 15th. On September 7th, two days later, every single appointment was booked. Wow. And including Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. Yeah. Yeah. So we were, I mean, the chores will have to happen those days. I'm sure everybody who's listening to this knows that. So it was still nice, even though it was holidays. Um, and that's when, that's when we started thinking like, man, there's probably something here, something that we can use like our venue for to educate people and get people more excited about agriculture. Yeah. Cause we, cause we're not farmers, right? Like we, we're just kids that are like upset, got obsessed with agriculture within the last year and then started going nuts, like reading Joel Salpin and all this stuff. Yeah. So we start like, as we got educated, we were educating the public along with us. So like people started, instead of just coming to visit and play and pet the animals, they started coming to read about our journey, like understand where we are at the time. Like as I got educated on beekeeping, there were people there watching me and doing that. Um, so in January of 2021, this year, we were like, all right, this is something bigger. Let's, uh, let's just be open to whatever comes to us and become more of a events venue slash education farm slash just something that serves mm-hmm. the community that can serve that, that purpose that we saw in Africa, the place where human interaction is what we exchange, not capital. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so we were like, okay, if you're a local vendor, we want to boost the economy. We will let you use our farm. You just have to share the revenue with us so that we can become sustainable. So we, we, the focus was like, okay, we're, we're biodiverse in terms of practice. Let's be revenue diverse as well so that we will never have a COVID failure. Like if something shuts down, we can like focus on like, oh, we'll just sell eggs now or something like that. So we got a slew of vendors focused on education. So we had like professional beekeepers coming. We had falconry coming. We had, you know, from like everywhere, like all these educators coming doing storytelling, teaching art. And it really, really, like, I thought it was crazy before. And then it, would, it became insane in terms of, you know, revenue, like trying to like manage the revenue streams so that we don't conflict timeframes as well as like making sure like viability is covered for everything. It became a natural viable business for us as well as like enhancing the community. And uh, so now we're like, at this point, we're like, we're really going to formalize. We're going to start really becoming a brand. So we started really focusing on like having fun with TikTok and like making it more of a fun branding. And uh, now uh, some therapists came up to us about a month ago. And now we offer occupational therapy, speech therapy, and like just general psychotherapy with the animal assistance, with horticulture, with beekeeping. So it's like apiary therapy, I guess you could call it. So now it's, that's like just one, it's one way to become sustainable because that can run even during COVID and stuff like that. But also it really, really focuses on the community development. So our, our farm is, uh, I should mention, it's only like five acres. So it's, not, it's nothing like humongous. Like when people come here, it seems big to them because they're in DC, but this is uh it's having a huge impact, much more than the acreage could ever allow because mm-hmm. we can't produce that much. So it's just uh it's hard to explain it now. So like when people ask me what it is, I'm like, it's it's undefinable. That's what we're going yeah. through. <laughs> well, I, I think you've turned into a teaching and learning farm, but also a a community place that helps the local businesses yeah yeah like if we can because i like if, if you think about it if you boost the economy if you can like spike other people's success then your success is tied to theirs and if they're hungry enough you're going to be just as successful you know absolutely yeah it's yeah. like it's like capitalism at its finest like being rooted in natural law and competition and all that stuff yeah and figuring out how to create a synergy between everyone yeah, yeah, I love it. It's it's funny because I, you know, background in the military and doing all this other stuff. I've been in the corporate world, and I I have more fulfillment sitting out there with the cows and like telling people why a cow 
like girl cows can have horns is yeah. more fun. it's more fun for me than any of the stuff I did before. It's just so much fun. Yeah. I get, to, I get to play around and just be myself. It's so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's also too, it's kind of a grassroots education aspect because never, no one's going to figure out this kind of information in the media anywhere. There's just not this kind of, they have to come to a farm, sit down with you with a cow and learn about how, you know, female cows can have horns. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> So it's really interesting. You're on Central Avenue. We are 572. You're 731. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, so talk to us a little bit about, so you've got the goats, you've got the goat yoga. What drew you into starting with that? Was someone asking you about that? Was that, was that your first revenue stream? Like how did you start building these revenue streams? So, so the first revenue stream, like I said, was we called it the visit and feed, and that's where yeah. you just visit and feed the animals with us. That was that was pretty awesome, but that's very small. You know, I think right now we're charging like fifteen dollars per person to come for an hour. Yeah, which is great, but the overhead is really high because I have mm-hmm. to be there all the time and telling the story. Yeah, like this, the story I just told, I've said that maybe like 10,000 times over the last year. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah. So then, so then when we were like, Hey, let's, let's do some vendorship and like focus on getting vendors in here where I'm not the one speaking all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I need to be able to grow this place and finish building my house uh, first and foremost. Uh, so these, this group of yoga instructors just came up to me and they're like, Hey, goat yoga is a big thing. Nobody really offers it in our area that's like accessible because we're being on like a very main road and accessible to most of the urban culture around us. Uh, I'm sure you guys realize that like city folk don't really go past a certain point where it just becomes only farmland unless they're really dedicated to going out there. Yeah, it gets scary actually. yeah, Yeah, for them, it's like scary for them, right? But we are in the dead center of a peninsula that's all residential. We're actually zoned residential, not rural or agriculture. And uh, so we started getting access. So these ladies were from the city or they're like neighbors and they're like coming up to us and they're like, hey, let me teach goat yoga. And we told them the pretense was like, okay, it's, we're here to like boost you and ourselves. We'll We'll like make some funny TikToks and videos. We're not going to pay for advertising because we don't have the budget for that. But like, if you want to, it's on you and uh, we'll work out a price and we just share 50, 50 of the revenue. So like all tickets. Yeah. So it's like one, they're going to get paid way more than they would at some studio. Mm -hmm. And it's also like with goats, which is originally we thought it was going to be some like, I don't know, like it's a one and done type of thing, but we have like consistent customers coming all the time and it's not like a very serious yoga session. I think people laugh more than they actually do yoga. Yeah. But isn't <laughs> that frequently what they need? They just need a relief from the craziness. Yeah. And, it, and it's like, so, so the way I want to build this, like the human interaction on the farm is, is you're supposed to laugh and you're also, so that's like one aspect of the human interaction. So, you come here and you just goof off, do whatever you want. Like if you step in poop, it's going to be funny. If you want to wear flip-flops, that's your fault. If you step in poop, right. It's funny. Yeah. But also the other aspect for the other types of vendors that we have is like, we really love if you fail, like mm. if you, if you want to learn how to work on a diesel engine, I will let you work on it. But if you mess it up, if you're held liable and you will fail, but I'll teach you through it. If you want to learn how to weld, here's a welder, go weld something and mess up. So it's all, uh, there's like two different aspects to the human interaction that I think that farms offer more so than anywhere else in industry. It's like the ability to have hands on failure and the ability to giggle over things that are extremely stressful or like just entirely ridiculous, mm-hmm. you know, like goat yoga. That's like, I mean, to, to a goat farmer, that's ridiculous to a yoga instructor. That's also ridiculous. Like who would yeah. have thought, you know, like, it's so, just- so, okay. So tell me, cause I've actually wanted to do goat yoga on our farm and I tell everyone and they laugh at me, but so you basically, do you have like a big pen that you do this in or how are you corralling the goats? No. So we, so because we're biodynamic, we keep it, everybody lives together, like all the different yep. species. Uh, so the way we do it is we use those like uh, temporary netting. Fencing. Yep. Yep. 
and our, our, our little five acres is even chopped up into smaller pastures. So we take the goats who are super, super nice and easy to handle, which is very rare. And we just trap them in a little like temporary enclosure where we put all the, the uh, yoga mats and the instructor and a speaker system. Uh, so we have like the Backstreet Boys speaker system where you can speak through the mic. <laughs> yeah. And then all we have to do is if you work with goats a lot and they're young enough, you just put them in there with them and they'll jump all over the people just because there's something to jump on. Yeah. And a lot of times we have like a lot of kids that like to help out around here. So if like the goats aren't in the jumping mood, we'll just have the kids catch them and then put them on top of people while they do yoga. Yeah. <laughs> so like that, that's a lot of work if they're not in the mood because they're animals. But um, in general, you just want to make sure that the goats are nice enough not to like headbutt anybody. Yeah. But you do have to do a lot of, uh, like when people first arrive or when they're signing up, you do have to say like, you might get pooped on, you might get peed on, your mat might get chewed. Like that's, you're not here to like have a serious yoga session. These goats don't care about yoga. They care about jumping around and eating. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah. So it's just, it's understanding like your goats a lot as well. Yeah, okay. So having these goats trained from the start is super key. Um, yeah, interesting. We have uh, my mother-in-law has Cooney Cooney pigs and they're super inquisitive and super cute when they're little. So I think having like a piglet yoga might be kind of cool too. There's a, there's a lady that is in DC or I think she's in DC and she just does bunny rabbit yoga. Are you and serious? Just, and just does yoga with like, you get to hold a bunny the whole time. Cause <laughs> if you think about it, like people have been glued to these screens. Yeah. A year and, and some people in excess of that and still going any, any type of experience is going to give them joy and the dopamine release that they need because they're just getting overwhelmed with the dopamine from looking at a screen. Yeah. So, 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 so break that down for people a little bit. Cause I don't think a lot of people understand what the, the, the whole psychology or the scientific aspect of, of what you just said is. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so in studying human behavior through my leadership company uh, and also which has accelerated my understanding of how to train animals is understanding how the brain works. And just like, just like everything uh, in your body, like your weight gain and all that stuff is driven through hormones. So um, on a farm, you get the whole aspect of hormones because you release them and that's how your animals will react to you. They'll release the same hormones. It's like kind of getting synchronized. So dopamine is a hormone that either gets released when you're really, really happy or when you're kind of like going through something that's a little bit more addictive, like screens, TV, or uh, drugs, right? Those are also ways to release dopamine. Yeah. But the natural way of releasing dopamine is through, in the easiest way is like if you spend – Anytime outdoors, you're going to release a slight bit of dopamine. If you spend times with animals and they make you giggle, times with family, huge dopamine release, right? Um, so when, when I like design experiences for my other company, it's all around the hormones I release. Like how do I, how do I release cortisol so that these people are very stressed at the time? How do I, how do I really, which is a stress hormone, how do I get adrenaline to happen? Um, and on the farm, you're part of that design without ever designing it right because <laughs> yeah you know like the goats are like super cute and fun and they'll be jumping all over you and then one will get out and just go eat your neighbor's whole garden right and you're like there's, there's yes the immediate stress and like and every goat farmer or anybody who has goats knows like goats are like ninjas and they will get out no matter what <laughs> so it's like uh, yeah you can go through all these like just like super visceral experiences and your brain is going through all this chemical changes, but actually having experiences on the farm. And that is what people want, or at least I feel that they're thirsty for, right. They might not thinking that way, but they see the farm and they see me like sleeping on top of a cow in like a TikTok video. And they're like, yeah, I want, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that um, opportunity is, is people just need a, you know, outdoor release. And that's kind of what you're giving them there. And the fact that they can do yoga or help you feed the animals, make them also feel like they're getting a whole other experience as well. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of people are surprised by the fact of how 
calming yet chaotic a farm can be because it is it's you know just humans trying to harness nature and nature is calm yet insane right it's like metal at the same time like if you're a mouse it's very calming chewing on some sunflower seeds but then an owl will come and rip your body in half right so it's yeah it's uh it, it's it's amazing when people get enlightened to that because they're so like rigid in their their lifestyles now especially around us in the city it's like you meet somebody and you just scream out your resume here yeah we don't care about who you are like the animals don't care about your background they care about how you treat them in that moment you know so if you're gonna run at them they're gonna mess you up but if you're gonna be calm they'll try to be calm too Mm mm-hmm Today's tip is with Harvest Host and Molly. Talk to us about your successful hosts. You know what kind of what types of farms and how are they making this all work? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Michael. Um, they are pride and joy along with our members. I mean, we have some of the best hosts and people working for these businesses. And what I would say, they're all very successful, but the most successful really create more of a unique experience for our membership. So our host locations range from wineries to alpaca farms. They offer unique experiences like behind the scenes at farms. So mm. having our membership help them go get the eggs from the, the chickens in the morning or letting them help shear the alpacas. So a lot of the success comes from really our host locations opening up their business um, to our membership. A couple of examples, um, we have worked with Centennial Ranch Alpacas in Belgrade, Montana for quite a while now. They, um, I think, are bringing in up to about 50 RVs now. They allow space for that many RVs. Sounds intimidating, but they've come and really created a great partnership with us and they run it really well. Um, every farm, you know, has space limitations. So you're able to dictate kind of who comes in and who comes out. But with their large parking capacity, they've been able to bring in um, a lot of additional revenue through selling products like gloves, hats, slippers, socks, a lot of crocheted or knitted um, products. They do stuffed animals, yarn. So again, it's just a large opportunity for them, but also for our team to have a stop in Montana, which is huge Uh for a lot of travelers. Absolutely. Um, So I've had a great experience with them. I think you had an example that you might maybe want to highlight from one of our hosts. Yeah. So we've got friends of ours that are South of Cincinnati and um, they have some museums nearby. And so people obviously come to their farm and stay so they can, before they go to the museum and they have a little farm store where they sell their jams and jellies and they've got people shipping cases home. So he Mm. said it's incredibly worked out really, really well from them and uh, just made it a huge addition to their farm revenue. It's so neat. And it's our members are truly committed to um, what we ask of them in our member code of conduct is spending at least $20. But once our members get on site, like you mentioned, they go above and beyond. And so we also worked with Lane Southern Orchards. They're located in uh, Fort Valley, Georgia. They offer a ton of food opportunities. So packaged goods, fresh peaches, um, all included in the roadside country store. Um, Mm -hmm. They have been able to, like you said, push this product out, produce out pretty quickly. And again, our members, we value them so much in a biased way, but we truly believe they're some of the best people um, traveling around the country. And they are really committed to helping these host locations uh, bring in that additional revenue. So let's talk about as you develop the farm, because obviously starting up a new operation is always traumatic and you're trying to figure things out as you go. What kind of things have you done or trying to implement it um, as you've kind of built this along the way to kind of like uh, test new things or try new things or how they're going? Yeah. So we, so because it is also my home, we're very, very strict about one thing. And that is we will not bring in any like toxic type of relationship because Mm -hmm just because of the relationship to it being my home. So if we have a vendor that even for the slightest reason, we like get an iffy feeling or immediately, no, you're not allowed here anymore. So, which seems extremely ruthless to those that see us as a community farm and focus on the community and trying to boost it. But it is also my home. I can't let something happen here and lose my home. So I, I would say, as far as like shortcomings, it's not communicating that right away. I, I'm very much still a Marine at heart. Mm. And as soon as I don't like something, I'm like, nope, you're dead. Get out of me. <laughs> like, get out yeah. of here. Um, but I, we, I mean, we're, we are so open to experimenting. Even this morning, someone came up to me and was like, I want to teach. She's got like a PhD in animal um, 
like relationships and communication and stuff like that. And she's yeah. like, I want to like super like it's very focused on equine, but you can use that with cows and stuff like that too. And she's like, I want to do this here. And I was like, we'll have at it. If at any moment I want to fire you as a vendor, I get to do that. Um, otherwise, you need to compete, compete or uh, communicate with me and make sure that I am aware of everything that's going on and that you do not conflict within the schedule of what we're doing. So I would say as far as like the diversification of income, the shortcomings is uh, not being focused on me being the face of the brand was a pretty big shortcoming because mm. I'm, I didn't, I never wanted to be the face of this farm. Like I never wanted to be, you know, this is Gerardo's farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to be Wild Kid Acres so that way it can grow in something bigger than me. Um, but the only one who's ever going to tell my story about this farm is me. <laughs> so I had to, that is something that I failed at because I was really adamant about not being upfront um, and being on the face of it. But as soon as I did that, then it started really exploding um, because I was willing to put in the work to be uncomfortable and talk to people, and go on yeah. these interviews with podcasters and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, people need a leader. And I mean, you know that when you're leadership training. And so that's obviously why they can relate and now they connect with you. Yes. Um, and I think one of the reasons they maybe even connect with you more is because you don't have a ton of experience and you can actually explain things on their level. Yeah. Yeah. I like to, uh, and I do that with my other company too. Like I'm capable of selling things like behavioral analytics. And I think it's, I'm like the smartest dumb person or the dumbest smart person. I'm just like really good at communicating, but not very good at, you know, being the expert of anything. Um, so I like, I like being honest and saying like, I'm still learning about this stuff. Like these are like my prime example. Like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but somehow I'm being successful and not killing them. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, it's, it's fun for me. And I, and I try to be as, I, I think I love building communities. So I try to be as personable as possible and try to connect with everybody in an individual basis. Um, Cause it's just, you know, people are, people are hungry for human interaction and I, mm-hmm. I'm capable of doing that. Cause I like doing it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Talk to us about the education side. What would you say is the most impactful thing that uh, you teach in on the farm workshops? Uh, so as far as like individual impact, we do do like uh, because you know this is a homestead. We do do uh, a event. It's more of a it's more of like an hour and a half long class where we do the ethics of eating as like, if you want to be a meat eater, especially around here where there's like a very large amount of vegans and stuff like that. Mm. Um, it's like, if you want to be a meat eater, you should slaughter your own animal. Like mm. if, so we, during Thanksgiving, like right now we have turkeys here that are made for Thanksgiving and we teach this hour and a half long ethics class. And after that hour and a half long ethics class, you're given a knife and told to go choose a turkey and then bring it home to your family. And you'd be surprised that like individually that's hugely impactful obviously especially for someone who's never slaughtered it's Mm. like you know it's like there's not that many hunters around here comparatively to like pennsylvania and stuff like that but it's it is i mean such a raw experience where you get like you know you know the same hormones that you get getting birth you get all of those when you take a life as well it's just in 10 seconds you know Mm. it's 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 hard to understand unless you participate and it's very, very hard to actually follow through with. And I think that's extremely enlightening for a lot of people. We haven't created any more vegans, which I think is a good thing. Uh, not, not in terms of like, like if that's your choice, that's amazing. Like you should definitely go through with that, but I haven't like turned, I haven't taught the class wrongly Yeah. to the point, to the point where someone's like, well, I'm never eating meat again, you know? Um, we try to emphasize, you know, harvest on your own, grow your own, know where you buy, you know, it's like very focused on local farming. It's, it's, that is individually more impactful, like community more impactful is like, not everybody wants to participate in the slaughtering of a turkey. Yeah. Community, community more impactful is the education around the kids. 
because um, most of the time, uh, like, and I'm not trying to like be offensive to farming or anything, but most of the time that you go to like on a field trip to a farm, it's generally like an older guy who's had the farm in his family for a long time. And he talks about cows and he shows you a milking machine or something like that, which is great, but it's not like inspiring kids to farm. Whereas like when they come here, it's very different. Whereas like I wasn't a farmer and now I am because I chose the property specifically. And this is like the way you can go through it. And they see me like building a house and they see all this stuff and they're like, maybe it is possible to have a horse. Maybe it is possible to own cows. If I make the decisions the right way, I don't need to be a 300 head farmer. I could be the farmer that has like four cows, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, um, one of the things too, because of your location, are you ever thought of doing like a farm store where you're selling other farmers products because of your location or? Yeah. So, so because of our location and because of, you know, I would say the goofiness of the branding and like how much we try to have fun all the time. We have an insane amount of demand, like crazy. Like we, so we're only open for like three hours on the weekends now because it's, we just can't, I can't keep up with the demand. I can't hire anybody. We also don't have a barn yet. So we are, as of a month and a half ago, actively, actively trying to get funding for a community barn. And in the community barn, the downstairs will have a lobby that will serve as, you know, like a farm store, but also more of a CSA because we don't have the production to like give, like to actually like, like, oh, hey, we have like 10,000 peaches, but we do have the clientele. So if we can... We'll have like the bottom floor be the CSA style farm store. And then we're going to have a classroom and a laboratory to do soil and water testing to show that regenerative agriculture is a viable future. And then there'll also be a gym to diversify the income and sustain revenue over the winter months. And then the top floor, we're hoping to get some type of farm brewery or tasting lounge where we could bring in, you know, a natural brewer and the adults can come and taste like a true farm to table restaurant where you're on the farm. And also, you, you know, you can see the waste product goes straight to the animal. Yeah. So then the other question is, is because of where you're located, do you have any city uh, codes or um, rules that you have to, you know, comply with? How has that been with you and the animals? Oh my God. That's the, uh, I would say in terms of growing a farm in an urban uh, like structure, the largest hiccup that we've run into is the government, like the local government who like, you don't realize how political things are until you like start trying to change the world. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, So we're in the beginning when we, cause we, we have like no topsoil here. So we're doing a lot of like compost inoculation and bringing in wood chips and stuff like that. In the beginning, it was like constantly fighting. Cause like, we're the only ones that are like really in the way of people. And if uh, I will have to say, like, if you're bringing trash from the back of your property to the front of their property, which is on a main road, people tend to complain. Mm. Uh, so like a lot of, I don't want to use it, you know, the, the main Karen, but like, a lot of complainers happen when you're in, the, in, a, in an area that does not understand agriculture, right? Yeah. So just the, the fact that you're cleaning up your farm was causing, uh, was consternation. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it's difficult. It's because they, when you're around other farmers and they see you working on a tractor or they see you like ripping off boards off the side of a barn to replace them, they know that that is what what's happening. Right. Yeah. And, but if you're around city people, you rip off a board, they think you're trying to put in a like in-ground swimming pool or something. It's ridiculous. Um, so <laughs> you're like, so the county and all them, they were very difficult. And then honestly, what the most amazing thing that happened is we got a stop work order and fine for spreading wood chips and mulch and all that stuff in the compost, uh, which means we could no longer build the house. We couldn't do anything that we were doing. And then I had the county out here along with a few of the key uh, like the key influencers, like small, like city council people and yeah. uh, county council. Specifically, there's like this one senator and this one councilwoman. They they were like, they organized a meeting 
and I held, I held a meeting and I treated it just like I was going to treat, like educate kids. Yeah. But, you know, talking to adults. I was like, this is why we have wood chips. And like that all excited. Yeah. And I started educating them and then I would show them all the trash that I'm taking out and I got all excited. And then, and then the education just like focus on that human interaction rather than the like aggressiveness of dealing with a fine. Uh, they lifted it and now are trying to help us build this community bar. Right. Mm, so, mm. so I did run into a lot of problems, but now they're like the most supportive of, all, of everybody because it's serving the community, which pays their paychecks. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah. It comes down to what the people want sometimes if, uh, yeah, we've had some very similar issues out here. It's, um, it's been interesting to say the least. Um, but it comes back to that the community loves us and because the community loves us, they city pretty much just leaves us completely alone. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's funny because like when it first happens, when they start getting in their way, like you get angry real quick. Yeah. Like, are you serious? You're getting in my way. Like I'm feeding people. <laughs> it's like, why would you get in my, why would you find me? But now it's just amazing. You know, you just got to yeah. educate that's awesome. That's, so talk to us about this barn you're building. Yeah. So uh, a lot of it is mainly because we can't meet the demand, right? It's just me and my wife and we don't have like a public restroom. And honestly, like our house is like not built fully yet. I'm doing all the trim and everything right now. Um, so we'll, like if something happens, like someone gets hurt or someone overheats, which is a very big deal. Like we don't have any indoor structures other than these run-in sheds for the animals um, for these people to like go, like if something happens and we're, and the demand is like ever increasing as our geographical awareness happens with the TikToks and all this other like social media influencers are coming now. So we're, we're unable to meet the demand. So we're like, how do we meet demand, but also have an impact and make it functional because like when we look at the animals, everybody has a purpose. If I, if I'm building a structure just to meet demand and that demand curves, like, is this barn going to be functional? So when we design the barn, it has to be, it has to serve more than one purpose. It has to be able to like be flexible enough to like, all right, well, the classroom isn't working out, we'll, we'll turn those into stalls, right. Mm-hmm. Or something like that. So, so really the barn is, the barn is turning into a community center where we can host local events and all this other stuff. Um, but mainly right now the focus is like, how do I get a public restroom here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, that, I would say like in terms of permitting and all that other stuff, that's going to be the most difficult thing because it has to be relatively large to house the, the stuff that we wanted there. Yeah. Um, and yeah. because you're building it with the community from the start, that means they probably want it to be ADA compliant and you know all that kind of stuff too. Yeah, yeah. And ADA compliance is relatively simple on a single story. Yeah. Like slab on grade type of barn. But we're, we're since we're multiple stories, I've, uh, I've kind of been focused on really growing my little sphere of influence and seeing if I can get like a freight elevator installed into the barn so it looks cool and yeah. be, be ADA compliant and all this stuff. So it's all... Uh, like just like with my house, I designed it myself, and then I just go around getting pricing from all the people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, talk to us about how does the Wild Kid Foundation play into all of this? Yeah, so you know, kind of talking about like the community and inspiring kids, we we saw we saw one a shortfall in like it running as a for profit. One, we couldn't do fundraising or any of these events. And we're very, my wife and I met through a nonprofit where it was serving underprivileged kids in the city. Um, and while I was, so she, I was at the Naval Academy and it served like inner city Latinos. And um, we realized that like, if we just focus on ticket sales and you know bumping up the revenue and becoming sustainable, we are missing out on people that would not have the ability to afford or get here to be inspired, right? So how do we how do we do that? Well, we could form a nonprofit, we could shove a chunk of the profits from the for-profit into the nonprofit, and we can give access 
scholarships and a whole slew of like community enrichment through the foundation. And it'll serve as a foundation to inspire kids to get into agriculture because uh, you know, it, it's a shame that like the largest, the largest farm landowners in the country right now are like conglomerates or like Microsoft's Bill Gates, right? Yeah. It should be, I, I think like in order to spike competition and all this stuff, we have to like reinvigorate the small farmers and you never know, like the future of agriculture could be trapped in some kid's mind that's living in inner city Baltimore, right? And yeah, if I could, if I can just have one of those kids come here or if I could hire, or if I could give them a scholarship to go to school for agriculture, like the University of Maryland or something, like I'm, I'm, I want to do that. I, but I can't do that through a for-profit because it has to make money and it has to like be, you know, yeah. making money in order to be sustainable. <laughs> so yeah. we, want, we want a way to like have people be part of it, enrichment, give access. And it also was a really amazing way to involve the community again, because I needed board members. And I was like, look, this is in your community. We can put scholarships out to this community for the kids that can't afford school. Like we just need the farm to run so that we can get profit and then donate it. Mm. Very cool. Now, uh, where do you see like the, do you have like a three-year vision for where this is going to head? <laughs> uh, it, it's funny you ask, because a lot of people ask me that and it's been so much shooting from the hip. Yeah. Until like, I would say a month ago, I was like, all right, I should probably plan this out now. <laughs> but I, I think my vision because of the state of the agriculture in the United States, I really want to like, I don't want to say franchise it, but I do want to like grow this to a point where I can purchase another chunk of property within a metropolitan area, go through the same headaches of permitting and all that stuff. Yeah. And like, if I, if my, in my foundation, if they inspire some kid to go through like some agricultural program, I pluck that kid and I put them there and I'm like, look, you run the brand here that you know what it's like to run the farm. Uh, we'll go get the animals for you and you just run it just like it is run in Edgewater, Maryland. And, but we're going to be overseeing you. And I would, so I would really love to make it really a, an, a national thing where there's education programs within 30 minutes of metropolitan areas serving a specific community. Mm. But broaden it like that i don't want to be like i would never want to be in the realm of like well there's only like 100 kids going to a school here i would like to be on just on the outskirts of a metropolitan area growing agricultural education to move kids away from the city Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely so you also have bees right yep (laughs) yeah (laughs) lots of them all right and was that something you just wanted to do part of your homesteading or yeah, yeah. It, at first, it was just like, I want to do this as part of my homesteading because it makes life so much more sustainable, makes your crop yield like that much more powerful. Um, and my, so I had no idea what I was doing though, right? Um, so I have a, a really good friend who I met as through my rock climbing endeavors because I'm a huge rock climber. So they live up in upstate New York. And they, they own Williams Honey, which is, I think they have like some ridiculous amount, like a hundred or so hives now. And they're, they're professional beekeepers, right? And uh, I was, since I was focused on like growing the partnerships, I was like, hey man, can you come help me, teach me? And then we can host a class and maybe some people will show up. Mm. And a lot of people showed up and he brought my, he brought my first hive. And then he showed me, you know, like from a professional perspective is very different from a hobbyist perspective, right? Yeah. Like, like they're, they're very much focused on production. So like, I got to see like, like sometimes I do the bare minimum, sometimes I do like extra in order to make sure that they produce enough. Um, so it's very, a very different perspective. And then I started making more friends with like hobbyists. So I have this access to these professionals. So, and the thing about bees is like, they're so different from humans that I just find them so fascinating because mm-hmm. you know like a cow or like a goat it's like you feed it and they poop it's like the same thing that humans do you feed us and we just poop right we walk around get hot when it's hot and cold when it's cold but uh, a bee is like you'll go out there one day and they'll they just left and you're like hmm, I gotta figure out why 
And I don't know how I could have prevented that, right? Yeah. And like even professional beekeepers will lose hives over the year. You know, it's like they're just so different from humans and that hive mentality. And you think that you're doing something right, and then eventually it's just like, nope, they grew too fast and you lost them, right? And yeah. So it's just with having my friends up in upstate New York, it's just so fascinating for me. And uh, this year we produced quite a bit of honey, but we sold out to a local brewery to make, to make mead, which is you know, another awesome partnership. Mm-hmm. And they're in turn driving people back to your farm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'll sell it to you, but can you yeah. put my leather on the, bo- on the bottles? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a great, uh, very interesting. I mean, your farm is so different than so many of the farms we interview because you're so much more focused on the agritourism slash education side. But I think this is something, especially with where you're located, it's a natural fit. And, um, you know, it's something that we really want to start doing more education. We do a lot of education here already but within, you know, 45 minutes or within an hour of a million people. So we can definitely, um, you know, get more people onto the farm and, and train them and, and show them that kind of stuff. So yeah, I've been trying to get a beekeeper on site to do like a class for folks and, um, yeah, we'll see if I can make that happen this year. So awesome. Yeah. Sweet. Well, yeah. Thanks so much for your time and, uh, we'll check back in with you and, uh, any final thoughts you want to leave with our audience? Uh, if you guys want to support, you know, my farm and what we're doing and everything, you can visit us at our website at wildkidacres.org. And if you can, we'd love, uh, we'd appreciate a donation for the barn build. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I saw there's pictures and CAD drawings and stuff up there on your Instagram. So you can go check that out at, what is that? Your Instagram again. It's, uh, it's all, it's all yeah. wild acres. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. So check that out there. And you have some cute cows too. I love the, uh, the Scottish Highlander cows. They're, they're so cute. So yeah, they're awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. All right. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye. Bye. Hey, thriving farmers. Have you checked us out on YouTube lately? We have a bunch of new content there, including a few rants by me. I uh, want to tell you, you don't want to miss them. Um, I actually go rant about, you know, some of the problems I see in our space and some of the challenges I see farmers uh, facing. So go check that out. We've got instructional videos over there as well. Talk about setting up our new farm here in Ohio and all the steps we're going to do that, as well as just tutorials and tips on best practices for all sorts of things on the farm. So go ahead, check over at Growing Farmers on YouTube and see the new content we put together for you. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.